Hey, real quick, a quick word of thanks to today's sponsor, Vertex Innovations, before we get started. For over 17 years, Vertex has been building the nation's wireless and broadband networks. Providing project management, network engineering, and construction oversight are just some of the ways Vertex helps their clients. So if you're looking for more of a partner to help you with your wireless network designs, construction, implementation, or operations, reach out to Vertex. You can find them at vertex-us.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-X-U-S.com. Welcome to the 5G Guys Podcast, the premier resource for industry insiders and newcomers alike to explore anything and everything wireless telecommunication. We discuss, explain, and explore all things wireless technology. So let's dive right in. Welcome your host, Dan McVaugh and Wayne Smith. Welcome back. I'm Wayne Smith, joined by my co-host, Dan McVaugh. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us again. Hey, before we dive into this episode, I want to thank everyone for listening. And if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. Um, give us some stars if you like what you're hearing. Tell your friends. And five, go to 5gguys.com to connect with us, comment, and see more about what we got going on. Uh, today, welcome our guest, Peter Thermos from Palindrome Technologies. He's the president and CTO. He's got over 20 years of experience in information security and assurance, uh, providing consulting for commercial clients and conducting research for government agency. In his current position with Palindrome, he spearheads the technologi- technological direction and vision of the company. He's been working as a subject matter experts for customers in various industries, including telecom, energy, and financial. Uh, this work is helping to secure emerging technologies, including internet multimedia applications like voice over IP, carrier grade networks like 4G, LTE, and 5G, and user equipment such as 4G, 5G handsets, and IoT devices. Peter's also the primary author of a book called Securing Voice over IP Networks uh, by Addison Wesley. So check that out if you want to learn more. And he's also a speaker at conferences. He's published several research papers and has even had articles in uh, publications you may have heard of like Forbes and Wired. So Peter, thanks for joining us. Great to have you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Wayne. Happy to be here. Yeah, Peter. We know each other from working together in previous projects in the past. We go back quite a few years, whether it's security testing and software and other types of applications. So we're lo- we're looking forward to hearing from you and what you can bring to us in the podcast today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. And uh, there are a lot of interesting things going on with uh, 5G that, that actually will be the, the fabric with for a lot of emerging technologies coming out. IoT is one of them, but there are a whole bunch of other ones, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality that we're going to see. And, and 5G will be the cornerstone of, of all the emerging technologies. So Nice, nice. Well, we'll tell, tell keep you guys busy these days at Palindrome. What's, uh, what's kind of been the, the thing that wakes you up in the morning, getting you excited and keeping you uh, busy? So... Uh, one of the things that we do is we help carrier grade pro service providers to secure their networks. Uh, so one of our mantra is is that keep calm and zero trust. So we we're trying to push that. Uh, but some of the other interesting things that we do is uh, we collaborate with uh, standards organizations such as TSMA and IEEE. As a matter of fact, there is an IEEE event, a uh, world forum event on IoT security and privacy coming up July 12th to 15th. And I will encourage uh, your audience to tune in and, and listen to some of the speakers. It's open, and I can share that information uh, at the end of the podcast for any interested members of your audience. Nice, nice. So tell us more about who are 
who are the types of clients you guys work with? I know, I know you work for private sector, you work for the government industry, but give us some sense of some of the specific projects that, that you guys are working on and, and how that relates to security, both from the standpoint of the, the consumer, right? Folks using their cell phone, as well as it relates to maybe the enterprise or the regulatory side and, you know, the, the thing, the guys behind the curtain, if you will. Sure. So on the commercial side, uh, we work with providers, uh, telecommunication providers here in the United States and a few European ones, trying to build their 5G network. So we've been working for the past two and a half years, testing the products for the core network and also some of the user devices. So we look at the security on the user equipment, whether it's a handset or an IoT device, but also we look into the back end. So we do end-to-end testing, security assurance testing. Uh, We also help with uh, security architecture, especially when it comes to using mobile edge computing because cloud is a technology that the big carriers are trying to leverage in order to offer better uh, services, especially within the 5G uh, rollout. And 5G and mobile edge computing go hand in hand nowadays. And that will be a big uh, differentiator for enterprise organizations especially the ones that deliver real-time multimedia applications, whether it's augmented reality, virtual reality, telemedicine. And speed is the, I guess, primary driver, but also security. That We have to make sure those implementations are secure, not only at the network layer, but also uh, at the signaling, the infrastructure, and the user devices as well. So the entire ecosystem will have to uh, look at it from a multidimensional approach to one area and try to secure that. Holistic security approach is what we've seen over time being the most effective uh, mechanism to uh, prevent breaches and also unauthorized access to uh, subscriber data. I know uh, back when I started in the industry, back when we, I guess we'd call it the 1G side of the world when it was analog, I think really the biggest security risk we had was either crosstalk where you could hear somebody else's conversation accidentally because we were using analog uh, FM modulation, or it was basically cloning of a phone, right? Pretty basic stuff. Somebody would clone a phone and they'd use another phone on your account to pay for your their minutes. Fast forward to 4G today and 5G, kind of give us a sense for you know what's, what's different today, especially as a consumer. Um, obviously, things like securing my password are, are an important part of my security, but give us another sense for for how it's different today from from how it's changed over the years. The current threat landscape is much different than it used to be. You have more actors. Some of them are state-sponsored. Some of them are individuals that are trying to uh, defraud the system. So the threat actors have increased and also the attack vectors against those technologies. So uh, you have many more attackers coming to the picture, researchers that uh, are wearing a black hat uh, versus white hat, and they're trying to identify zero-day vulnerabilities in telecommunication equipment, whether it's end device, the user equipment, or part of the signaling protocol that reaches uh, in the core. Hackers can take advantage uh, and commit certain fraud, extract or exfiltrate information, and ultimately impact the, the end user. So uh, the, the primary, I guess, 
difference is that the, the threat landscape has uh, shifted dramatically from uh, 20 years ago. Wow. One of the things that uh, I think all of us are starting to feel is the impact on security on consumer prices. So a few weeks ago, we had the pipeline, you know, cyber attack, and now we had the meatpacking. And, you know, for the first time, I think it's really affecting the everyday person and how they live their lives. And so what's, what's your take on that, on those kinds of attacks? Do we expect more, you know, now that it gets the mainstream and there's a cost, you know, and it, it impacts you. You can't get gas or you can't get food. What, you know, what's your take on those kinds of cars? Um, definitely, definitely. Uh, so right now we have all these events, whether it's the Colonial Pipeline or any other ransomware type of attacks. But also you, you have those advanced persistent threats from state-sponsored attackers. And we see that infiltration, the next filtration of, of data that affects the organization, but ultimately affects the end user, just like I mentioned before. So whether it's going to disrupt the operations of an organization or, or the supply chain, those attacks have a great impact that eventually propagate and the negative effects are realized by the average person, not only small enterprise organizations that may have ransomware attacks, but as you said, you're not going to be able to use an ATM possibly if your financial institution gets impacted or not be able to get gas from the gas station or go for your regular medical examination if you do telemedicine. So that infrastructure that we rely on is much more fragile as new technologies such as 5G, IoT, kind of uh, are getting adopted into our ecosystem in our daily uh, lives. And we have to be more cognizant as a, the average user of, of those threats. So if you ask the question, I think, 10 years ago about cybersecurity or internet security and threats, the most common uh, response was, oh, you know, I run an antivirus and I'm okay. Nowadays, an antivirus is, doesn't typically do much because the end user may be affected by a virus, but it's also the infrastructure that the end user relies upon that gets affected. And then that infrastructure impacts not only one person, but hundreds of thousands in certain cases. Uh, there is dramatic shift as to the incentives that the attackers have. Instead of just frauding one person or 100 people that they've gotten account information, they're going after the big fish, if you will, under after organizations that can pay a lot of money and make uh, a greater profit compared to just targeting one or 100 or 1,000 individuals. Yeah, it's kind of bad news too, though, right, Peter? Because yeah, the, the threat vectors are higher. Um, all of the things you've talked about are significantly bigger than what we've seen in the past. But we also have technology that's much more capable of protecting us now too, though, right? Encryption levels are higher and higher every day. Talk, talk a little bit about kind of the good side of where we're at technology-wise in terms of how it's protecting us in, in ways it, it didn't used to. Sure, and that's a good point. And, and we've seen dramatic improvements over time that provide additional controls and protection layers for the end user and the infrastructure. But we also realize the adversaries have to find ways around those protection mechanisms. So we've built an infrastructure with firewalls, injury protection systems, antivirus that help, I guess, 
keep out the script kitties or the the threats that are not as determined, but a state-sponsored attacker or someone that has the resources to go after certain targets, they will succeed because they have enough time. They, they can sit there for a year or two years until they get in. And the most, I guess, vulnerable piece of, of our ecosystem is the human element. And that that's what we've seen over and over again. So we do have protection mechanisms that have prevented many breaches, but it's not consistent. I think that that's the difference that we've seen. Some organizations are more disciplined in implementing, testing, verifying security on an ongoing basis. Some other ones feel that security is an added cost and maybe sporadically doing some of these uh, exercises to verify security or ensure that their cybersecurity program is healthy enough to uh, withstand emerging type of attacks and threats. Before we kind of shift to kind of more of the enterprise level, so as a consumer, what are the top two, three, four behaviors you've seen that are the direct result or source of security intrusions? And, and what are the top two or three things that we can do as consumers to protect ourselves and our identity, things of that nature? So phishing has been the dominant attack vector, not only on the consumer side, but also enterprise organizations too. So spear phishing or phishing in general has been the, the, the main avenue that we've seen people getting compromised from. Social engineering kind of goes with uh, spear phishing or phishing in general. Uh, it's a combination of the two. And then the, the third one, I would say, is you know, lack of awareness uh, on the end user side. So those three things, the active attacks and lack of awareness, is something that we need to improve upon uh, moving forward. So for those in our audience that may not know what phishing is, phishing is basically when like, I get an email from what I think is my credit card company, but it's really not my credit card company. It's someone else pretending to be there, the company, and I click on a link they've offered me thinking it's them. That at a basic level is what phishing is, right? Correct. Correct. And, and also to add to that, we also have the device level security that may not be implemented or in some cases is implemented properly. And we, we see attackers identifying vulnerabilities for IoT devices or handsets and user devices, and then trying to take advantage of those vulnerabilities to stocks perform fraudulent transactions, steal identities, and so forth. So we have to have a, an approach on, or the discipline rather, to secure those devices and also educate users for related to phishing type of attacks or social engineering. And then it's interfacing with me in some way to try to learn more about me, to try to guess my password or or take over my identity. So I've always been I've always been like paranoid about Facebook, right? Like when you see those things going around Facebook asking like, "What year were you born? What was your first car?" Or like I'm like I'm not answering that cuz I'm just giving some social engineer all the stuff that he wants to try to figure out my account. Is that accurate or is that, am I being paranoid? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, even today I receive calls from the IRS. I'm sure you've received some of those too. Sometimes they tend to be FBI agents too, or the Federal Reserve. I received a call from somebody claiming that they were with the Federal Reserve. And it just so happened that I've done work for the Federal Reserve for 10 years uh, on the NERT, the National Incident, the National Incident and Response Team. And you know, when you receive such calls, you start to giggle, but the average person is not cognizant of who that caller is, and they're going to start disclosing that information. So again, if the attacker goes after a knowledgeable person that is in cybersecurity, they can pretty much figure out that it's not going to be a fruitful exercise. But if they go after the non-educated folks, they're more successful. So, and that's that's their approach. Uh, they they spray and target the ones where they're more vulnerable, and that, that's their tactic. Yeah, yeah. A great question. In talking about the future, you mentioned IoT, and so IoT. You know, we're seeing millions of devices, and then ten millions. I mean, a connected world. What standards do those IoT devices have to follow? Is that some of the work that you're working on? Because when you think about it. I bought a new stove. The stove's connected to Wi-Fi. I'm not sure why I haven't made a connection between my stove and actually why it needs to have internet, but it's a good example. I mean, of everything being connected, how, how do those manufacturers, what, what security protocol do they do or do they do any, or is it up to the consumer to figure that? Uh, Very good question. So there are some standards out there from organizations such as CTIA, GSMA that, require or focus on IoT security. And you can have a device being tested on a regular basis to ensure that the device uh, aligns with those security requirements. So there are efforts in the industry where even consumers can look up and go back to the product vendors and ask, have you guys gone through a uh, CTIA, GSMA, or some kind of other IoT security certification? Because they are available out there. But going back to uh, your example of home appliances, uh, talking to each other, talking to your router, you know, a few years back, I've been in this business for a while, and I always had this idea in the back of my head that I will be running my own intrusion detection at home just for my home devices. So if there are any entrepreneurs out there, maybe a home intrusion detection system for your network could be an idea that, that they can push out because... Again, we have so many devices at home, uh, from refrigerators to microwaves to thermostats to solar panel controls, that it only is going to get bigger. And you have users within your home network uh, and visitors that may use your home network that may bring other exotic threats at some point that you're not aware of and shut down you know, your home network. And that can impact, especially if you have any people with medical conditions, they and they rely on certain appliances and may impact those appliances as well. So on network security, I think it's going to be uh, come a lot more significant in the next uh, five years and will start surfacing more and more as we move forward. Don't be surprised if you start seeing homeowners having a specific uh, group a support group for ransomware. My home network has been locked and I can't do anything. As I said, especially if you have a, a person with medical conditions that, that relies on network medical devices. 
Yeah. And I kind of feel like there's just some basic things like you don't have to be super technical to be able to protect yourself with using some of these devices, you know, just simple things, right? Like changing the default password that comes from the manufacturer. You know, I know it's inconvenient, but two-factor authentication, you know, so I've got a ring doorbell or I've got a Nest doorbell. If I put two-factor on my account, it's going to make it harder or less likely for someone to hack into my system and and look at my camera, things like that. Is that is that an accurate assessment? Sure. I mean, you can follow basic uh, security principles, which is always recommended. And changing default password is number one thing. Anytime I, I get any device from a product vendor, I look at the security configuration and I change immediately passwords, uh, keys, whatever the case might be. So yes, it is very important. Also, the other thing that I personally do, I have a guest network, if you will. So my, my kids bring their friends over and they can play with that. Xboxes are also isolated. <laughs> So I wrote, I run my own security program at home. But as I said, uh, having uh, good basic security practices and educating also your users or your children in the uh, at home about internet security is important. So let's let's kind of shift perspective a little bit. Let's say hypothetically, I am a business, Acme Enterprises, and I want to get engaged with leveraging wireless telecom. Maybe I'm going to go beyond just having my Wi-Fi access network, but I want to put in, you know, a citizen's broadband radio, private LTE or private 5G network. And I want to do so responsibly in a way where I'm leveraging the technology without adding unnecessary risk to, to my business and my employees and my customers. What What's sort of the basic way that I would go about, you know, implementing or looking into implementing and partnering with the right people to not just put in good technical solutions that have the support for my use cases, but doing way in a way that's safe and, and as secure as possible. What's where do I start? I have no no idea where to begin. From an enterprise perspective, we're talking about. Um, so yeah, adapting five G CBRS within an enterprise environment can be tricky. It depends your agreement with the provider, the carrier that you're working with, and whether you're going to be managing the femtos or other access technologies that, that you're going to be using, whether it's going to be managed in-house or the provider will manage them. And then your user base, you, you have to start considering security controls on the end devices, the network that you manage, but also the provider infrastructure, whether it's secure uh, or not. And I'm sure you know most providers tend to go towards the right direction in verifying security, but there, there might be some emerging type of uh, providers that are not as well-educated or uh, willing to put cybersecurity investments in place to ensure enterprise customers maintain adequate security. So if I was an enterprise user today and I wanted to adopt 5G, I would first look at my architecture in its entirety then do a risk analysis threat model and then start going into validating the controls through testing, uh, product testing, network testing, end-to-end testing. Because as we know, you know it, it's great to trust, but in our world, we need to verify. So that sounds daunting maybe. So are there, is that, is that a service that Palindrome offers are there, or are there other companies that offer that where I just bring them in as part of my solutions toolkit where I have a partner that really understands that 
and can advise me on that and maybe even provide that as a service? Uh, definitely. So Palindrome uh, provides assistance with validating security controls, especially if you adopt emerging technologies. So we have several clients that ask us to do uh, specific product testing before they deploy it or uh, network testing and one test before they push their production network to be available to end users or other customers of them of theirs. And Palindrome, we, we've been helping, especially in the 5G for the past two and a half years, carriers. We've seen now some enterprise customers coming up and asking questions of, of um, adopting 5G, especially when it has to do with the robotics, augmented reality. The, the folks that have very large enterprise organizations and they have to adopt 5G, but on top of 5G, they, they need to operate other emerging technologies. Uh, and that's where our specialty comes in because we've been looking at emerging technologies for several years now. And Palindrome Technologies focuses on securing emerging technologies. That, that's our bread and butter. So tell us more about this IEEE conference. How can people learn more about it? How, they, how can they connect? How can they join? How can they connect with the other things that you guys are doing? How can they find you guys? So you can uh, look us up at www.palindrometech.com. But also, if you want to Google IEEE World Forum IoT, you're going to have plenty of hits there. And there is a topic on security and privacy. As I said, it's about three days uh, long track. We're going to have uh, several sessions within those three days on different aspects of IoT security. We're going to have researchers presenting on the work that they've been doing from uh, academia. Uh, we're going to have standards organizations and also commercial organization practitioners that do assessments, that operate networks, that provide products. So you're going to see names such as Verizon Wireless, Samsung, Nokia, Ericsson, uh, which are all well immersed in 5G security and IoT security. So the audience will get very useful insights. Well, thanks for that, Peter. Um, also, thanks for joining us and sharing all your wisdom. You know, security is definitely on everyone's mind today. And it's a subject I think we'll all in, in our home life and work life that we'll, we'll continue to figure out how to make our lives safer, more secure, and how we move into the future. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen, uh, Wayne and Dan, for the opportunity to share a little bit of our insights. Again, with emerging technologies, there's always new things. And I look forward to subsequent sessions of your podcast. Yeah, thanks to our, Thank our you. listening again, joining in. Remember, uh, hit the subscribe button. Go to 5gguys.com to connect with us. If you have any further follow-up questions, corrections, we love to hear from you. We'll, uh, we'll address those on future episodes. So thanks, everyone, and take care and be well. Thanks for listening to the 5G Guys. For more resources and to connect with Dan and Wayne, check out their website at 5gguys.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that follow button and share this episode with your friends and family.